Ladies and gents, beauties and influencers, welcome to episode 97 of A. Thompson and Other Disappointments. It's a usually twice a week show in which I jump into the cruel and crushing worlds of politics, academia, media, comedy, and let's be honest, pants-soiling dystopian lunacy. My guests this week are two returning favourites, uh, political blogger Davey Moo and fellow online humorist Supertansky. Tan and Davey, welcome back to this latest work event slash cake ambush slash celebratory soiree. Thank you so much for joining me and uh, I hope we've all got wine and cheese to, uh, to tuck into, or at least some American pale ale. How the fuck is it going? Tan? Ups and downs, Aid. Ups and downs. Um, I'm really glad that the Mail and the Tories are having a really shit week. Um, although I'm a bit concerned about the fact it doesn't feel like Johnson's actually resigned, which is a worry. Um, but apart from that, good. Good. And yourself, Davey, how are you doing? I am all gravy on the train. Thank you very much. It's, uh, it's very interesting. I noticed that you asked whether we had uh, wine and cheese. But what do you think this is? A party? It's a fucking work event, Aid. What's wrong with you? Um, <laughs> It feels a bit worky, a little bit party-ish for us. It's been a good week, right? Yeah, I would say so. It's It's been interesting. I don't know. It's like, I, I hate to get all, like, neggy on it, but it's just so weird, you know? Like, this is, like, the first step I've been waiting for for such a long time to see that monumental blancmange face twat fall. And it just feels like I was left wanting, you know? I wanted his resignation yeah. speech to be like, I will burn this country to the ground before you drag me out of Parliament. And instead, it was like, yeah, I did some really good stuff. And anyway, I might resign, but I don't know. Anyway, look over there. Bye. And I was like, well, this is yes. weird. I felt exactly the same. I, I, I was sort of on record, if you like, a couple of times tweeting saying, I want nothing less than him to be dragged out of Downing Street, frothing about his mandate with his pants around his ankles, cocaine around his nose, you know, like a really undignified exit. That's really what I was going for. And I don't feel like I got it. I don't know. It was pretty undignified. He actually like held a siege for a while. Like he was <laughs> he was talking about how, what was it, blood on the hands. He was going all Caesar, wasn't he? Is it Caesar? I think it is Caesar. Um, yeah. yeah. And he's got form as well, right? Like he said, you'll need a tank division to get me out of number 10. And then, yeah, you're right. The other day, the Sun headline was, uh, you have to dip your hands in blood. That's it. <laughs> Which didn't even really, like, uh, maybe I'm missing some sort of Shakespearean reference or something, but didn't make an awful lot of sense to me. I was like, who the fuck is dipping their hands in blood to then escort him? Like, why would you do that? How does that make sense? Just, Am I missing something? It was just really surreal, the whole thing. I mean, he was sitting there, like, with a furniture fork. <laughs> like, just people were coming in going, uh, you know, 59 people, God. And um, the thing that really shook me, because I was actually in Westminster when this happened, we were getting it through on our phones, because obviously we can't, we can't get in there, um, was the fact that he sacked Gove for yeah. disloyalty. But he's let, what, Class A drug users, literal nonces, um, alleged rapists. He hasn't yeah. sacked any of them, but he sacked Gove for trying to tell him the obvious, which is the jig's up, it's over. Yeah, yeah, I like... Like there's some sort of comedy value in there somewhere, isn't there? It's like, you know, you can you can take drugs, guys, you can fuck kids, but I draw the line at being told the truth. It's kind of Yeah, reality, no. Yeah. No. We don't do reality in Whitehall. Uh I, f I feel like the big thing for me was I felt like it could have all gone this week could have gone so badly wrong in a different direction. 
like in a parallel universe, Johnson actually took the temperature, like read the room, ejected the sex pest from the whip's office, upheld some standards. Starmer then gets fined. So does Rayner. Uh, both of them are forced to resign. Labour are just chaos then. Just the worst of all outcomes, left, right and centre. Creed announced that they're reforming and going on tour. It could have been that bad this week, but it turned out pretty good, right? Davey, how are you feeling at the end of the week? I am good. It's just like there's been so many points this week where, and I'm not even joking, I've just burst into hysterical laughter at just the absolute obscenity of it all. There, there's there's a video on my phone which I've posted on social media where, <laughs> where Larry the cat goes to the door of number 10 and the person behind the door like opens the door for the cat to come in and the cat just stands there looking at him and I'm just like, <laughs> the cat is the government. Like, yeah. He was the the only one that seemed willing to just, you know, go by normal business. And then I, my favourite part of it for me had to be watching the select committee with Boris Johnson in because just some of the stuff he was coming out with, there was one point, I can't remember who it was, someone said something to him and he started off in a normal tone and it was so clear that just this unbridled rage just burst, this damn burst in him because he was like, and I was just like, holy <laughs> fuck. And then, um, you know, people were like, Prime Minister, what do you say to the fact that there's a delegation uh, waiting for you at, at number 10 to, to tell you that the jig is up? And he's like, I'll still be doing these in a week. And it's like, oh, my God, is this senility? Yeah. Is it rampant drug use? Or is it just that Boris Johnson can't accept that, like, despite all of the evidence of his life so far, he's fucking shit and everyone hates him? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the hope that I was clinging on to around that point when it looked like he might have gone, you know, fully crazy, fully Trump. Uh, the thing I kept going back to was, well, hang on a second. This is a guy who thought he was going to run for the leadership back in the day and then go knifed him in the back. Right. And in that instance, he appeared to at least kind of take it semi graciously. He was like, I, you know, I've concluded that that person cannot be me, was what he said. And then he, you know, exit stage left. And then cracked on. So I kept sort of thinking, if he's still the same guy now as he was in, when was that, 2015? Something like that. Um, then, you know, maybe there's some hope that he won't go fully batshit. But I don't know. The the, the, the reaction from the right-wing hacks, though, in the last couple of days has been fucking amazing. Like, That's been the best bit. Like, the I, I literally, with excitement, I went on to tomorrow's newspapers today, last night, and I was just in hysterics, like, so, <laughs> like, like, honestly, it could not have been better. The newspaper is is the abused wife crying at Boris's front door, going, "Please, yeah. please don't do this to me. I promise I'll be better." And Boris Johnson's just like, "No, the jig yeah. is up." And the British public, the the fucking hedgehog in the garden, like snuffling for food, like it's just fucking insane. Papers today, the Mail. I mean, it is just unbelievable it just shows just how much dacre wants that peerage man it just shows doesn't it well it's also control as well right like they've had control they've had um a grip on messaging to the public and the ability to contort and distort information to the public to to shape the consensus and keep that tory support going they've had that for so long and now they're in a situation where like what was that poll today like laborer like is it 40, 41? Points? 41. <laughs> and the Tories have sunk down to like 28 or something? Yeah. Before, yeah. It's, it's, so they've, 
they've lost control and they are publicly soiling themselves and it's fucking amazing i'm here to bathe in their sorrow yeah it's a good it's always a good week when the day uh, the daily mail are, are losing out but you know it the worrying thing is they've been flip-flopping backwards and forwards over the last couple of weeks because um you know the, the 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 main the big boss of the mail was like i think realizing that the public support wasn't there for johnson anymore and he was wanting to flip back and then you've got dacre the editor who's like gunning for that peerage yeah kind of thing out really so it's just like it's like the the mail is having like an emotional breakdown which is always a good thing so one day it's just like he can cling on you know and then the next day it's like what have you done yeah <laughs> Yeah, you're right. There's a real sort of to and fro to it now, isn't there? Because you, you're right. There were reports a few days ago that Lord Rothermere or, or the uh, how do you pronounce it? The, the Viscount, the Viscount Rothermere? Wanker. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Davey. Thanks. Spot. Yeah. Uh, that he was unhappy, yes, with the direction that the mail had taken and that they were basically falling out of sync with the public consensus, the like, public's perception of the Conservative Party as is. And so it was his direction, rumoured, that he had said to Dacre, uh, you need to start bashing the government a bit more, get people back on side with us. Um, now, I think that lasted like a day. And since then, they've still been, I mean, today was a fucking textbook example of the male frothing their support for Boris Johnson. You know, the day after the guy is forced to resign for, you know, we don't need to go through his litany of literal crimes, dishonesties, corruptions and so on. <laughs> and the, the day after the guy resigns, the male is like, do they do they even re realize what they've done? You know, <laughs> like talking to us like we're children, like you for silly me, little sods. For me, some of the most frightening stuff is some of the things that the loyalists to Johnson have said. Um, Andrea Jenkins was walking past a bunch of people being, being vox popped. And she said, um, the person who laughs last, laughs the loudest, wait and see, and then flipped off a crowd. Mm. I mean, you know, and then she'll be whining the next day about receiving threats. And it's just like, well, you know, Them's I mean, threats, but, Andrea. <laughs> you know, I mean, to be fair, like people have to like, cause there was, I, I can't remember, I think it was um, Camilla Tomini a couple of weeks ago was like doing this really, spooky um kind of like loving for pretty patel talking about well does she deserve the um the abuse that she gets and it's like well people need to have an outlet like they are doing things that are objectively like wrong and illegal and people have a right the only way that people people can't wait for two or however many years it is until they get to the ballot to, to express themselves people have a right to express themselves if they're doing terrible things obviously i don't condone death threats etc but they were saying, oh, is it justified the abuse that Patel gets? And it's like, well, she's putting through racist policy. People are going to you know, not be happy about that, are they? Uh, I don't think people should threaten to kill her. Obviously, that's wrong. But people have a right to, you know, as our friend Scott says, call her the Wicked Witch of Westminster and, and hold her accountable for what she's doing. I mean, there has to be some kind of recourse. But there, there, isn't, there isn't any way for the public to kind of really express themselves towards MPs. Mm. MPs don't do surgeries often i don't think patel ever <laughs> does a surgery um unless she's harvesting organs from refugees <laughs> <laughs> but you know like it, it's just it's just you know and you know what andrea jenkins did was just disgusting like you don't the contempt that they have is just obvious isn't it i suppose a generous interpretation of that would be 
you know, Jenkins on her way into number 10 at a very sensitive time for her party. You know, I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate here. Oh, uh, literally. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, she's she's walking past people who are literally screaming, you're fucking scum or I hope you die. And then the the cameras, what they catch is her turning around and reacting to it and flipping people off. And so now we're talking about it as though she's the aggressor. She's the worst person in the world. When in actual fact, to be fair, I, you know, in my lesser moments, I might behave or react in that way. I'm not saying it's right, but, you know, it's possible that there's some I context. to it. were saying that all they were doing was booing her. Like they were standing there booing her. Like um, I don't think they were saying that stuff that you were saying. Yeah. Them. Yeah. Picked up by the cameras. I mean, there people are allowed to boo. Yeah. <laughs> like people have a right to express themselves. And for God's sake, I mean, they're they're trying to take away every other way of expressing disdain by protest by like authoritarian laws. The yeah. least they do is take their their punishment in the form of a boo. Mm. I mean, yes. isn't this the people as well that spend all their entire fucking lives saying that everyone's too woke and that you should be able to say whatever you want, but the second they get booed by a crowd because they're doing things that they don't like, like keeping a despot in place, suddenly, this is too far. Like, yeah, well, even, you can't even sort of cake and eat it. More specifically, uh, you could look at the hypocrisy of, uh, you know, how many of the cabinet ministers or how many of uh, Team Johnson more broadly were absolutely pro booing when it was the England team taking the knee. They were like, well, we think you've got a right, you know, free speech. You can boo whoever you like. Meanwhile, you know, flash forward a few months later, it's like, don't well, boo I'll... me. I'll boo you. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's 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 ludicrous. Yeah. Um, they don't like it up them. No, no. <laughs> they're all for they're all for free speech when it's like, yeah, talk radio or GB News or, you know, you can't say anything anymore. Uh, but the second that it's criticism or scrutiny of the government, then suddenly it's like, well, I don't know, maybe protest has gone too far, guys. This is why the whole free speech argument bugs me, because I just wish that people would come clean. And the fact is, we both do it on both sides. Yes, I want to censor people from saying things that might really offend me as a gay guy. Yes, I want I want that to be a thing. But you can't be like, should be able to say whatever you want. Oh, Boris Johnson's a cunt. No! Oh, put him in prison for disloyalty to the country. Hello. That's crime though. Yeah. What you're talking about, hate. You know what? What people throw at you are hate crimes, like not not legitimate criticism. Mm. Precisely. That's an important point that doesn't really get raised uh, so much. Is it's really easy for sort of for somebody in my position, say like a straight white home counties guy, to think that. Uh, boundless free speech is therefore not an issue. Do you know what I mean? Like, like you should be able to say anything. You should be able to call anyone anything you like. Well, that's really easy for somebody like me in my demographic to say, because I've never been called the worst words in the dictionary and been reduced to just my sexuality or my gender or my right. Like, these are not problems that come knocking on my door particularly often. So it's really easy for people like me or, you know, more specifically, uh the roster at talk tv or gb news to be like well what's the big problem what's the problem everyone's too sensitive you know it's like sometimes you've got to take a step back and be like well hang on a second like it's not about you it's about what this gentleman over here doesn't want to hear when he's walking down the street 
I don't know. I have to wonder how Darren Grimes would react if I like butched up and like walked past him in the street and was like, you fucking buff. I bet he would absolutely <laughs> shit in his fucking soiled underpants. Like, and that's that's why it's so ironic, because he he lends this air of credibility to the like, not all gay people are sensitive snowflakes. It's like, yes, you are. You won't respond to people on Twitter because you are so frightened of looking in your replies. You go on and you tweet your garbage and you don't look because mm. you're too much of a coward. Yeah. It's like, say something outrageous and mute thread. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what he does. Yeah. Going back to the... Oh, sorry, I was just going to say, going back to the uh, the reactions to the resignation speech uh, this week and, and indeed the reactions to the... Uh, Starmer beer gate uh, let off. Um, uh, as soon as I said let off, I thought, is that way? Is that slang? He's being cleared. Clear Starmer. Yes. Uh, but so the reactions to both of these events in the right wing uh, political arena have been quite funny. And I think I sent you both a voice note earlier saying, like, I haven't seen this out in the wild yet, but I know it's coming. Any second now, because this train is never late. It will all. It's all. It's always going to be there. It's there's always some fucking cretin who's like, well, this is, this is obviously an an establishment uh, fix, isn't it? It's a stitch up, you know. Like it's the establishment have uh, they've ejected Johnson from power, and now they've let Keir Starmer. It, and there's always a part of me that's like, how, like, what kind of universe of cretiny have you got to be inhabiting? to think that the opposition party who have no real power and haven't been in office for 12 years that that these same people who struggle to get a fucking bill across the floor can somehow create this huge conspiracy where multiple police you know uh, forces can prosecute johnson but they won't prosecute Keir Starmer and they'll eject johnson like they, they can barely do a fucking thing in whitehall but somehow they've constructed this huge conspiracy I I have already seen it. I've already seen the like. Oh, really? oh, isn't it funny how Boris Johnson gets proud for a bit of cake that he didn't even know existed and Keir Starmer? And it's like, oh my god! Like, this. Do you know the laws that were in place at the time? Go back and read them. There's a reason that one of them was okay and one of them wasn't. Mm. And it's exactly like you said. If anyone's going to be at more threat, it's going to be Keir Starmer, leader of the opposition, who has no fucking executive power over Boris Johnson, the man who is literally in charge of it all and has has the actual power to do things in retaliation. Yeah. Yeah. And it's all, it also like when you see these comments, you hear these people speaking along those those lines, they always kind of forget that the Metropolitan Police had to be fucking pushed, dragged kicking and screaming to even fucking investigate. So it wasn't like there was some conspiracy to, you know. The good law project had to step in and force them to to investigate it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I remember their tweet was like, it's it's no longer even a question whether or not they are reluctant to uh, to investigate number 10. The question is why? Like, where is that pressure coming from? Absolutely. Um, I don't know if they ever got to the bottom of that or if that's still sort of, you know, bubbling under somewhere. Well, it doesn't matter because none of them face charges, like, which is amazing, which, which is why Johnson wanted the job, isn't it? Because it's really hard to actually prosecute a prime minister. But, um, yeah, I think what we need to look at now is the people that actually, or, or we need to look at generally, the people that actually filmed Keir Starmer. Because it was Ivor Dellingpole, wasn't it? It was the son of James Dellingpole, which is the Bright Park 
uh, AIDS. Oh, right. COVID denier, AIDS denier. He doesn't. He doesn't think. He thinks that AIDS, James Stellingpole, is caused by malnutrition. And his son went to Durham University. And I actually went like proper, like de- de- detective on this. Like the Durham, the distance between Durham University and the Miners Hall, which is where Keir Starmer was, it's a good like twenty-five minutes out of Durham. And right. he. That like Ivor Dellingpole was just walking past and caught it, but yeah, he'd have had to have snuck round the back of the miners' hall, taken photos through the window. So uh, you know, there's a lot of people kind of speculating that it was again like a way for Johnson to try and get some dirt on Starmer. Mm. Uh, and then obviously there's the whole kind of the fact that he was reinvestigated. They think is you know people leaning on that really freaked me out. I wondered what that was coming into frame then. I thought it was some kind of like ghost or something. Um, but yeah, there's 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 concerns that um, well not concerns but there's questions to be answered. I think about about how the the videos were obtained and about why Durham police felt that they needed to reopen. I mean, if it was directly due to days and days and days of splashes on the front of the Daily Mail, mm. then, you know, obviously Dacre again comes into that, but then Johnson and Dacre's relationship is already weird and dodgy. Yeah, I mean, that was probably the most disturbing element of it for me was that they had already looked into this. They'd already concluded that there wasn't a case to answer. And then magically off the back, as as you've alluded to, of about 10 or 12 days of coverage, obsessive coverage in the Daily Mail uh, along the lines of like, what are they doing? Or they, they there's definite questions now for them to like, why are they not investigating this political pressure, this media pressure then? well presumably reluctantly they went oh well all right you know if you really insist that we have to look you know this this push for them to reinvestigate something that they had already concluded was done was deeply troubling for me because it suggests that you like you you assume that there's a separation between uh the constabulary uh between government between uh, the army, between the church, you you know you you have faith in these institutions that they are not there to influence one another. Otherwise, you're in a weird sort of banana republic situation, right? Like where you've got, um, you know, a, a bishop telling the army guy to overthrow the government, or you know, like it would be much more comfortable. I know that's a bit of a weird example, but you get what I'm talking about, right? When you start to blur the institutional lines, you get into very shady territory, and it's it's uncomfortable for me to consider the possibility that the British media and the government colluded to push a police force to start investigating the opposition like that is kind of fucked there's no way that they didn't that's exact that's exactly what happened and to deny that the media is corrupt and complicit is to completely ignore the evidence of your eyes and ears of the last god knows how many years it's it's been so plain to see but Mm -hmm. My favourite thing is when it falls flat on its face because, like, I, I don't know if you guys just saw, I was, like, trying so hard not to laugh, like, audibly because all of this put me in mind of that, that, that tweet that Tom Howard put out where he was, like, exclusive. Here is Sue Gray using this, uh, uh, the karaoke machine, like, years before the pandemic. And I was, like, exclusive. Woman sings, like... <laughs> before COVID, yeah. Oh, it was, it was, it was crazy. 
Yeah, that was just, I mean, the guy thought that he was he was really slam dunking that, didn't he? Bless him. But no, Dacre's a, Dacre's a real problem. And I think the thing is with Dacre, he didn't actually like have anyone that he could leech off like Johnson before. I think people like May, Cameron, I don't think they was open to being corrupted as Johnson. And Johnson in return has done what Dacre wants, you know, slashed the civil service, lambasted the BBC, you know, uh, took really alarming action on immigration. Mm. And then there's the whole Ofcom thing. Yeah. Dacre got away with only because the lobbyists with strong uh, Tory connections were actually in charge of the recruitment process and it wasn't transparent. So, mm. and now he's like gunning for his, for his peerage. So yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's a dark. It does- it does appear that there's been some sort of gentleman's agreement between Dacre and Johnson. Uh, and y- you're right. I know a little bit about the Ofcom process. So he applied for the role or was encouraged to apply for the role. Uh, and in the recruitment process, he was deemed to be an unsuitable candidate. And then I think they pushed him back into the recruitment process again, sort of yeah. insisting like, no, 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 you should take a second look at Paul. He's a, he's a stand up guy, lovely guy. Um, and it still didn't come through. Uh so now as a sort of second prize or like runner-up prize to that he's obsessed about this peerage um mm-hmm. and in return for these sort of favors as you've said um he's given johnson a fairly easy ride like there's been a couple of you know hiccups there i think we we tapped into the rothermere relationship uh earlier where he's put pressure on them to to be a bit more critical but yeah i mean there's the bungs aren't there the the, the, the bungs for billionaires scandal which like mm. Cummings exposed and Byline Times reported, um, which, when you look into it, is is pretty shocking. I mean, it was it got to the point where um, it was almost like there was like ads, or it was almost like the copy was in some cases quite literally written, I think, by the government. So it's like ads looking like articles and stuff. It was really messy, and yeah. then it dressed up as COVID relief. Yeah, and it's kind of a testament to how corrupt how just morally bankrupt the Johnson administration is and have been that scandals like that, that would have sunk any other administration have kind of paled into insignificance. Like I, I I think of that, like paying off newspapers for positive coverage is pretty abhorrent in a democracy. Uh, There's that. And then the other one that's kind of disappeared off into, into the distance is, uh, the one where they said that the whips office were threatening constituency MPs that they would withdraw funding for key pro- like hospitals, schools, like local projects. They would withdraw funding from their constituencies if they didn't back Johnson in whatever scandal he was in that way. Like that is fucking gross. That is like, hey, how about you don't get a new A&E this year? How about a, a bunch of people unnecessarily die in your constituency? Oh, oh, what's that? Oh, so you are going to support. John. Oh, wicked. OK, knew that we could count on you. You know what I mean? There's a reciprocal nature there, though, because if you ask me, it goes two ways. I made that video the other day, and it's not hyperbole. I don't think that Boris Johnson hired Creepy McCreeperson by accident or forgot that he was a sex perv. I think Boris Johnson hires people with dirty ledgers. That so are that, compromised. Yeah, like, oh, well, I don't need to whip you because, oh, you don't agree with me. Oh, well, how about I just tell everyone that you're fucking pervert then? Like, that's... You know, the whip's office exists to say you have to do this or you will face consequences. But that's because they're supposed they're supposed to convince you of the argument. They're supposed to say, at worst, you must vote this way or you will lose your seat. You must do it. That's not what Boris Johnson's ever been playing. Boris Johnson's game has always been 
do what I fucking say or I'm going to make your life miserable. He's been running the government like the like the worst pastiche of mafiadom you've ever seen for far far too long now. And if we're going to talk about, you know, the relationship between the government, well, this government and the Daily Mail, let's not forget that headline that I saw the other day and I've been talking about obsessively since. It was November 2019 and the Daily Mail ran a headline that said, um, stand down Nigel, and it was encouraging Nigel Farage's Brexit party to stand down 317 MPs so that they could strategically funnel all of those votes into the Conservatives so the Conservatives would get this massive mandate that they love to talk about, <laughs> sweep in, commit the suicide of Brexit, this has been going on for a very long time and it isn't being addressed. So at what point do we at what point do we stop making like asides to it and say there is a corruptive influence that flows both ways between the government and the press? Mm. Yeah. Over with Johnson, it's got a whole it's got to a whole new level. And it's interesting what you say about Pincher. I completely agree because and you look at but then you look at the spreadsheets that the whips are supposed to use there's that spreadsheet that's gone around hasn't it with uh, certain members of uh, parliament fornicating with a certain um interestingly um coiffed wearing member of parliament that's allegedly inappropriate allegedly in taxis with alleged journalists allegedly the other day on twitter and um, the alleged MP with the alleged mad hair went mental about it. Yeah. Um, it, does this tie into the um, I saw a Cummings tweet where he said, you know, we we uh, we we feign disgust at the standard of MPs. But actually, it's not an accident that you get like a sex pest, a rapist, uh, a drug abuser. A, like It's actually very deliberate. You put these people into positions of power and then you have that leverage over them. You can say, you better fucking do this or your wife's going to find out that you did X, Y, and Z, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the whole setup is kind of gross. If I could overhaul one thing about the parliamentary process at the moment, uh, it would be complete cancellation i would cancel whip culture because it's kind of like why do you need a whips office to threaten your mps with deselection and defunding if the idea that you're trying to get across the floor get enough votes for is a good idea like shouldn't people just be free to vote with their conscience I rely on them to have a conscience i mean Mind you, Wakeford was an early defector, wasn't he? He crossed the floor from Labour because he was told that he was going to, to, to be underfunded. Like, that to me is a noble timing. At the time, it was a, it was maybe a bit late, but it was still within the parameter, I think, of not being completely self-serving when he did that. Mm. And to his credit, he's got behind Labour values. Fair enough. Um, but then there was talk, wasn't there, apparently that were going to be, be happening or more than six defections yeah, like yeah. literally a couple of weeks ago purely because they feel they're going to lose in the next election it's like fuck off we don't want you in labor if you're literally doing this just to save your skin um but yeah i agree with you i think the whole the whole process of whipping is archaic and bullshit but then so much of our political system is and i think deliberately so to keep people disengaged and to maintain a sense of elitism do you think it's that cynical? Do you think it's kind of they they know that if they're this sort of calculative, manipulative, untrustworthy, gaslighty, that people like, you know, prob probably not 
us, probably not people like us, Tan and Davey, because we're fairly politically engaged, but people that we talk to in the pub, you know, and, uh, you know, old friends or whatever who are not obsessing over politics every day, that it will make them more and more disengage. It will make them just go, oh, well, they're all the same, you know. Do you think it's that cynical? Is it a long game play or is it just that they're this shit and untrustworthy? Well, I, I, well, briefly, because I think we should go to Davey on it. I think, yes, um, they maintain it, but I don't think they, they started it. Um, I think I don't think they change anything because it suits them. Um, so, yeah, but Davey. I think when you look at the broadness of the system and the way that it's been put in place, it's very obvious that it's it's by design not meant to appeal to the young generation. And that's something that really depresses me. I'm, you know, I'm 34 and and this fucking this weird change in my life has has like crept up on me through social media where suddenly literally tens of thousands of younger people are following me and listening to me talk about politics all the time and i feel i owe them a massive debt a massive debt of gratitude to listen to this miserable 34 year old fucker who lives in the center of leeds <laughs> talk about politics because it makes me feel like I'm doing something good for them. You know, I, I'm like, I'm never going to have kids because it just doesn't interest me. And I'm gay, so it's not like it can happen accidentally. And when it comes to looking at the system of politics, it's been kept this sort of gentlemanly, you know, I'm going to talk to you through that person sat there on this big leather seat. And we're in this big, like, fucking 500-year-old building that used to be a palace and... We don't need that, you know, like Sam Bright has written a book that's on my coffee table and I've not read it yet, Sam, I'm sorry, um, which is all about decentralizing power from London. And it's not just that we need to decentralize power from London because London, it doesn't need to be the center of everything for the UK. We need mm. to decentralize politics and power from London because there's a whole fucking set of countries out there that rely on politics, that should have a say, that should have representation, that should be where this stuff happens. It should not be the capital just because it's the capital washington dc is great but what would wrong what would be wrong with politics happening in new york what would be wrong with politics happening in, in another city same here what would wrong with it being in manchester or leeds or mm. birmingham or glasgow like not that that's going to happen because the tories have completely fucked everything with scotland but <laughs> it's it's unfair to maintain this politics changes as, as things grow, you know, being me would have been illegal 50 years ago mm. or 60 years ago now. And that's not the case anymore. So why are we still doing the same things? Why are we still maintaining the same systems, the same methods of speech, the same stilted pre-approved bollocks? It doesn't need to happen. The reason people like people like us is because we go on screen and we go, I'm pissed off about politics and this is why. And people are like, yes, because yeah. that's what we need. It's well, it's uh, also just sort of going back to the uh, the, the sort of localization of politics and uh, I guess for want of a better word like the the federalization like the um, uh, you know having having a presence in Manchester having a presence in Glasgow having a presence in Dublin and and Belfast and not keeping everything centric in London I suppose the machinations of politics in the UK uh, were set up at a time when it made sense to have that in one place right so you had buckingham palace in london you had windsor wasn't too far away um you had all of the trading going on in london 
Uh, it did take weeks, if not months, to get a message from London down to Cornwall and back. And, uh, you know, so it made sense to have all of these discussions and these different institutions based in London. We don't fucking live in that world anymore. Like you can email someone or text or, you know, WhatsApp or whatever and get the answers to your questions in a second. There's absolutely no logical, physical reason why you couldn't uh, uh, start to spread out the responsibility a little bit and have people who are actually like going to be affected by the decisions that you're making for their area, for their families, their school, their constituency, why they can't have some sort of say in that. I get historically, traditionally, why that may have been difficult, but just in, in the same way as um, as traditionally it would have been difficult to do online voting, right? But now we live in a world where actually it would be more secure you could do it instantly. You could get results immediately. Like there's no real reason why we can't move things forward. And that's so it's true of, yeah, like parliamentary processes of of setting up different presences across the UK and indeed of like online voting and stuff. Um, Tan, was there anything that you wanted to to add to that before I jump on to my uh, my third and final question for you both? Briefly, yeah, I think what you're saying maintains the class divide also maintains the divide of um, kind of funding to different constituencies because mm. the high counties is seen as kind of traditionally Tory that's where the power is kept and if you just look at how the north were treated in terms of infrastructure and in, in terms of funding generally in terms of building mm. up funding I think it maintains that power and class structure massively and I really agree with what you both say especially what Davy was saying, because I think what we need is a progressive long-termist strategy to deal with the problems that we have. And we need to step way out of the parameters of what we're in. And we need to start thinking out the box in terms of ideas. And that's what I would look for in the opposition parties is to give us really progressive strategies um, that look after, you know, not to coin an older phrase, but the, the you know, the, the many, not the few, essentially. Um, mm what we need um but yeah i think it's i think it is quite deliberately clung on to um because you know the tories are conservatives but the thing i think they only conserve is their own power mm. yeah i think you're right i mean i think so speaking as a parent uh when we've looked at uh property prices in the southeast right so something as fundamental as schools and housing you look at um uh, the cost of housing in the southeast and you think to yourself okay well we don't need to live in the southeast you know i can work from home my girlfriend can do what she does from remotely as well you know push comes to shove we could probably make a move up to the midlands we'd get a slightly nicer house we'd send our kids to school up there and then you start looking at the schools uh and it's like i you know look i've never been to a school in in the midlands or up north or in scotland or whatever and it's possible that the metrics that they use to measure the performance of these things is entirely skewed in favor of the class system itself, right? But uh, it is interesting that when you start researching uh, the top 50 schools in the UK, as we did, we were just driving around one Sunday looking at places that we could move to that were like 100 miles away, 200 miles away. And all of the top 50 schools are all in and around like Surrey, Hampshire, Berkshire, Buckinghamshire and it like I stand to benefit from this stuff but it because of where we are right like we could stay here and send our kids to a nice school but it angers me because it's like 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 what the fuck like how how is it so hard to just apportion some funding and send some well uh, well regulated like well qualified like different 
you know, like to, to send the resources that obviously make these schools down here uh, up to this standard, how can it be so difficult to allocate that same funding up north? But that's why I always say that this is like, the, you know, the, the rot started a long time before Boris Johnson or before this iteration of the Conservative Party, because mm. if you pile funding into schools and you make sure that there's the right amount of teacher per pupil, then those children will grow up and they'll be more intelligent. So they'll grow up and they'll have better jobs. And then there's more reason to invest in the infrastructure around the area because the people grow up and they're going to be able to take higher jobs and they're going to be able to bring more money back to the economy. So you then take that money and you pile it back into the schools. And lo and behold, more children come out and they're more successful and blah, blah, blah. This is a system that maintains itself. And it's why, you know, like I've been talking to you guys about this the last few weeks in particular. I'm becoming more radical in my politics as I grow older. Everyone always said I'd swing more right and it's not true. I'm becoming further and further leftist because as I see these archaic structures being maintained and I see the the schools that already do well being given loads of money and the schools that are doing shit being having their funding cut because as punishment, you it's punitive for the children who are already suffering because they're in crowded classrooms and because they suffer from dyslexia and they're not being given the aids that help children with dyslexia. And they're going to go on to do, you know, like menial jobs when they're capable of more, but they're not being given the help. And there's nothing wrong with a menial job. But I've met people, some of our friends, like I've got a friend who's got a PhD who's got quite severe ADHD. She's super, super smart. And she's managed to get where she is. And I'm so jealous. I think I have. And I think it's the reason why I literally, I, I have, all I do all day is I write stuff in a planner because I forget everything because I can't get help because my GP is underfunded because no one picked it up in school because the school was underfunded. My old school, according to what I've heard, my old school during the day, which is the lights off in the corridor because it can't afford its own lighting bill because it's been so vastly underfunded. Mm. Yeah. And there was a few, few stories like that, wasn't there? Like a, two or three years ago, there was schools writing to parents asking them if they could like bring in toilet roll. I think I read. One time, like, yeah. like, how have we got here? Well, Tories, like, the, 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 just I know we're supposed to be moving on from this, but what you said was so important because the private versus state school funding, like, is like crazy during the, the, the rule of the Conservatives. And it gives that illusion. They've got this whole illusion of work hard. You know, you'll get where you're going. This illusion of meritocracy. And the reason they under they they deliberately underfund Labour councils. They deliberately underfund areas that are not conservative. So if you look at the levelling up funding and how that's been allocated, which they're not transparent about, about how that's that's handed out, like the lobbying for that. You look at people like Shadi Javid's constituency, Rob's constituency, um, uh, Matt Hancock's home county is not far from me, actually. They're getting like Sunak's constituency, objectively rich areas, getting loads of money to level up. Mm. And and, you know, you look at the North, completely cut out of it. In fact, deliberately underfunded over many years. And they were already reeling from um, austerity. Yeah. So it's a deliberate decision to do this. And they do it. Oh, shit. Oh. Sorry. Um, I just had someone trying to call me. Ridiculous. Oh. Someone was trying to call me. Um, am I back? Yeah, no, you're yeah. fine. Yeah. Oh, so they do this. They do this deliberately to try and, um, you know, just to try and to maintain their votes, essentially, to maintain their, to keep happy Tory voters. Sorry if I fucked that up a little bit there. No, no, it's fine. It's a good, good point to to raise. I mean, it's it's 
quite the swindle, isn't it? To come out of austerity, to defund these areas, leave them decrepit, leave them starved of things like NHS walk-in centres, um, and then to sort of market that as, oh, well, you've got a Labour council, so that's what you get. Uh, and then, lo and behold, in, 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 like the 2019 election comes along, it's like, well, you know, vote Tories and it could all be different for you, and, and we'll get Brexit done. And, um, and then they get Boris Johnson in, he starts talking about levelling up, nothing fucking happens, no improvements are made. Uh, meanwhile, I mean, to, to even say like levelling up when we're talking about some of these constituencies in like Surrey is almost like a sick joke, isn't it? It's like, we're going to level up Surrey Heath. Oh, fucking really? Wonderful. Well, I mean, the phrase itself is fucking ridiculous. Levelling, like, what happened? Like, like I say, we have this like archaic language that we talk in Parliament. Oh, the honourable gentleman, blah, blah, blah. Are we going to level up the country? Are you kidding? That's the sort of shit that I say when I'm gaming with online friends. What the fuck is that all about? It's pathetic. And the reason that it's that stupid, because I've read some reports around the time that levelling up funds and all that was announced, is because it's all Boris Johnson's fucking brainchild. He came up with levelling up and was like, it's a master stroke to describe to the levelling up. Fuck off. Yeah, it sort of speaks to this whole idea of, um, yeah, sort of Cummings, Johnsonian attempt to take um like zeitgeist or generation z marketing and then wrap it around politics to make it a little bit more you know it's like it's like when you hear any uh, an interview with an mp and they use some like you know millennial slang or something there's always a part of you that's like don't, don't fucking say that <laughs> remember i saw i saw an interview with some guy where i don't know if you remember this this sort of period it would have been in the noughties i guess uh and everyone started saying like end of like like to close an argument they'd be like yeah well i mean the thing is at the end of the day um i'll probably be home by like one yeah end of like that and then i saw this <laughs> this mp said it and i was like oh don't say end of that's fucking <laughs> some 50 year old gray-haired guy in a double-breasted suit trying the to get worst like, one journalist. The worst one for that was that fucking, have you guys ever seen that Matt Hancock interview when he's talking about music? <laughs> Somebody. Hey, has I he got the roll neck? Oh, no. He's not wearing a roll neck, no, but he's listening to, like, grime or something. And he's like, yeah, yeah, it's like, it's like really cool. I really like this. Oh. And I was like, this literally makes me want to be sick. <laughs> I mean, leveling up's a gaming term. It reminds me of Mario. Like, level up when you get the, the you get the extra like the extra life. But it's patronising language. I mean, all of their sloganeering is it's like taking people for fools. It's trying to kind of, on one hand, condition people, mm. but on the other hand, just massively patronise them as if people just have to hear these little snappy things. Um, and it's and it's based on lies. I mean, the the toy manifesto is a massive lie. They're well, not, yeah, and it's it sort of like taps into this whole thing that i've i've you know it's a uh, a horse that i've beaten to death if you like but it's like the the superficiality of the current conservative party uh is is truly eye-watering it's kind of it's style over substance every time um it's slogans with no substance beneath them it's dodging and obfuscation um and yeah, like the things like leveling up and no exception to that. It's like, well, yes, let's 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 tell them that the new initiative is called uh, leveling up. And then when when they ask to actually see some substance or stats to it or to back it up with some sort of facts and figures, it's like, oh, don't worry about that. Yeah. Exactly. 
Yeah, and, and also playing on the prejudices of people, like generating these culture wars because they think that, you know, if we if we start fires amongst each other, we're not going to be looking at, at what they're doing, which which worked for a while, but not anymore. They've fallen off that horse. But did you see the thing about Steve Baker today talking about when he sees his power? Yeah. Um, yeah. I've been trying to think of a really like good way to describe Steve Baker, but it's, it's really hard. The only way I can think of to describe him is that guy in the local pub that thinks he's like a hit with the ladies, um, even though he's like well past it. And he's trying to be trendy, desperately trying to be trendy. Um, and he's just such a weird guy. Yeah. Weird as hell. Like, Have really- you seen the picture of him? I think it's from a couple of years ago where he's got like the neck, the little like Mettler's neck. I used on. it earlier for a video, I think. <laughs> it's like, as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, you're one of those dudes. Right. I get it. He was wearing it the other day, like, on, like just un- like top button undone to show it off, you know, to show yeah. it off. I was like, oh, my God. That's always like the sort of funny thing, isn't it? It's like you're not necessarily a prick for wearing that kind of <laughs> metal necklace when you're 45 years old. It, it doesn't damn you to prickery, but to to wear it and then to open up your top button and show it off like it's some sort of, you know? Yeah, like... Um... I mean, if we're going to talk about Steve Baker's flaws, let's talk about that time that they... like. Because obviously this is the ongoing drama of the century. Let's talk about the last time they were in Parliament before all of this talking about Boris Johnson's suitability for office and Steve Baker finally decided to flip and be like, start fucking quoting from the Bible and uh, talk about like, I'll always have a soft spot for Boris Johnson because he's the one that got Brexit done. And I'm like, oh, you, you fucking import exports down 14%, you stupid and the self-importance he did it with as well as if everyone was there to hear him speak exactly out steve baker has spoken mate you're, you're chinless fuck off <laughs> he reminds you know who he reminds me of i don't know if you guys will have seen this but he reminds me of dr alan statham from green wing oh my god <laughs> <laughs> he's for appendectomy <laughs> i see him as a sort of i don't know roland rat on fentanyl that's kind of <laughs> His vibe. I don't know. Roland Rapp funded by a fracking organisation on fentanyl. Well, um, this is the frightening thing, though. Mm. He is running for leadership. I know. Oh, he's got the charisma of, like, shit, of a dead rat uh, that's been left in a drawer in a church. There's <laughs> something so tragic. It's like his wife woke up that morning, kissed him on the cheek and went, like, I think you should go for it, Steve. I think you should do it. You know, like... Now, He's her hero, and yeah, it's crazy. I could just like I'm I'm waiting for the campaign video. Hi, I'm Steve Baker, and I like Brexit and nothing else. You should elect me as prime minister because insert reason to vote for me here. Well, like he he likes fracking. He likes Brexit and he likes fracking. Uh, but somebody did a I forget the guy's name now. I read his thread on Twitter. Uh. And he he did a little sort of deep dive on him. And he was like, well, why is Steve Baker so obsessed with fracking? Well, let's take a little look into it. And there was some funding connection, obviously, between Steve Baker, this fracking organization uh, and the fracking organization had been presented with further information to suggest that actually there wasn't sufficient gas reserves under the United Kingdom to frack to substitute the natural gas that we're now short of. Hence the, the cost of living crisis. Um, they were saying, 
this this chap on Twitter was saying. So the question is, why are these fracking organisations so keen to frack in the UK if it's not going to solve the problems? And he concluded at the end of this thread, he was like, the reason is it's not going to solve the problem. But what it will do is it will make about five or six board members of this fracking conglomerate incredibly rich. Like it will make if we cut the red tape and we open up all of these areas for drilling and fracking, nobody will get any cheaper bills. That is just a given. But what it will do is it will yield like 20 percent, 30 percent returns. It will turn a few people into billionaires. And Steve Baker is leading the charge on making that happen. I was like, oh, well, fucking color me shocked the um the most frustrating thing sorry go on on you because i've talked a lot no no i'll be very brief but um it's just like brexit with crispin o'day and he was a part of the vote leave um he was like one of the people that were funding vote leave he made ridiculous amounts of money the day the pound crashed after very closely linked with uh jacob breeze mogs companies Um, and um, they, I, I think they should not be allowed to have these separate interests. I was, I was revisiting Jeffrey Cox doing my video about Dacre today, and um, that's what got Geordie Greg uh, Greg um, fired from the Daily Mail. They say it wasn't the case that Dacre came back in, but um, so yeah, like um, I don't think they should be allowed to have these separate interests. It sh- they shouldn't be allowed to have second jobs or to profit from their political decisions. That should just be a given, and that's why we need a written constitution. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you're right. I think it's when when you think of, say, your job, my job, Davy's job, what like how would our bosses react if we approached them and we said, yeah, I hope you don't mind, but I'm going to take a second job on. They'll probably be like, what, you mean like a bar job on the weekend? We'd be like, no, no, no. It's it's sort of loosely related, actually, to some of the people that I'm going to meet through this job. So there's a definite overlap, a definite conflict of interest. But conflict of interest. It's cushy, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, sure. No problem. Like, like in what reality would that ever be signed off? Never. So why do we accept that in the realm of public office where standards are supposed to be traditionally so much higher, but to get a job in public office, you're supposed to keep your sheets whiter than white, right? Like you're supposed to be like making our laws, you know? Like Yeah. Like, don't get a job. Like, why would you run for office? And let, like, if you had skeletons in your in your cupboards or if you weren't trying to make life better for wider society, why it, to, to, to do that and then take a second job like Jeffrey Cox um, or uh, I, Patterson or yeah. like, but it's just the bewildering. Job is a, is a springboard to being able to lobby to make money. This mm. is the it's like they get into that job specifically so they can make the contacts needed to make loads of personal profit. It's openly corrupt. Mm. Um, it's been exploited horrifically by in the last 12 years by the Conservative government like never before. Of course, it might have gone on a bit under the last Labour establishment at the end, but definitely under this Conservative government, it's just gone. Yeah, yeah I, I think agree. One of the weirdest things that we just like... And I, I, I don't know why this hasn't come out in the press or like just amongst the public, because there's a lot of people that work for energy companies, right? And everybody, everybody across the nation, including me, is angry at their energy company right now, because what the fuck? Mm. I was paying £32 a month energy because I you know, was always at work and, and all of that. And it just keeps going up and up and up and up and up and up and up, like insane numbers. So I've been pissed off with my energy company. 
But if you actually follow the trail, do finish the thought, if you look, it's not the energy companies that are the issue. It's the people that are extracting the energy who are gouging the energy companies. And yes, before anyone contravenes me, I know that a, a huge part of this is because of the war in Ukraine and, and Putin completely fucking cutting us off. But at the same time as well, this was happening before the war in Ukraine. Those companies who extract the energy and sell it, those who wholesale it, they're the ones that keep bolstering the prices and making it more expensive because they know that we will pay because we need it. Mm. So at what point do we look and go, right, that company extracts and they're lobbying the Conservative government. That's why the government won't lay down the law. And that's why... Like, in the nicest way I can say this, you can have all the problems in the world that you want with Labour, but as long as Labour aren't beholden to those energy companies, I'm desperate for a Labour government because if they don't come in mm. in the next few years, I can't afford my energy prices and I will end up homeless. We all, a lot of people will. Yeah, and it's it's probably worth also mentioning that I think when a Conservative government take, you know, a million from an energy company, people kind of, like, people on the left will go, oh, they're fucking corrupt. Well, obviously, they're taking money from the energy company, and now we're not going to see any see any pushback on the energy companies. Uh, and people on the right will just shrug and go, well, you know, that's Tories. Well, I think if you had a Labour government in and they weren't beholden to energy companies, uh, I think you would see, like, then if they did do a deal with the devil... I think the right would then castigate them and be like, see, they're all the same. But then I also think the left would be equally appalled and people like us three would be like, this is fucking outrageous. How like how dare you behave in that way? Like we've we helped you get into power. You can't behave like this. Right. So I think they would have to be incredibly stupid to to behave in that way. And that sort of gives me some confidence that they uh, that they wouldn't. Um, I've, I've got one more question I want to to, to throw into the ring uh, before we wrap up. Um, and it's I guess it's a little bit more positive. You know, we've had we've had a good week. We've had Boris Johnson resigning. We've had Keir in the clear. Uh, it's you know, we've had right wing pundits all but bursting into tears live on Twitter. Uh, where do you both think we're headed from here? Um, I feel like like maybe it's wishful thinking like maybe a general election in the not too distant future i don't think it will happen immediately but uh i don't know where, where do you think we're headed davy first Thank I'd, I'd like to think that we're headed towards a general election because i think it's the only way to start moving the way that i want because a lot of people a lot of people see electing Keir Starmer's Labour as either the middle step or the final step, whereas I see it as the second one. The first one was deposing Boris Johnson so that we can slow down the rot that's happened in our government. So I would hope that the next natural step will be a general election. The concern for me is what happens in the intervening time, because I've been discussing this with a few people that are genuine experts in, in this whole thing. Unfortunately, they've all said that I'm wrong, and I hope that they're right. Because I suspect that because the Conservatives bought into the extremist vote to get Brexit over the line, that they will probably try and elect another extremist leader like Steve Baker, who will then continue the extremist line, or like Suella Braverman, who is the champion of the anti-bollocks. Right. Um, but regardless of that, I think that there will come a general election sooner than it was mandated, mandated to be by Boris Johnson. And... I hope after that we see a leftist coalition. From the leftist coalition, which hopefully will happen through tactical voting, we will see um, 
a mandate for PR and a change to voter reforms. And from that from that change, we'll actually see an honest to God leftist government. I think that we're going to lose Scotland at some point. So it needs to happen before Scotland leave the UK because it happens afterwards. We are going to struggle to get it over the line because let's be honest, there's a lot of lefties in this country. There's more lefties than there are right wingers, but there's a disturbing amount of right wingers who like will be told what to do by the Daily Mail. Sure, sure. Uh, and and Tan, where do you think we're headed? I think yeah. Dave's largely right, really. I, I, I mean, I, I hope for a general election because we're battering the toys in the polls. I'm probably a bit of an outlier. I'm not someone that makes like political, and I'm not suggesting anyone else here does, but I don't make political leaders like my idols. So I'm 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 fine with Starmer. Um, I was all right with Corbyn too. I was actually probably more behind Corbyn than I than I am Starmer at the time because I think I've actually. But I think my, my political outlook's matured a bit and I've realised the limitations of the first past the post um, voting system and the fact that, you know, I agree, we're going to have to vote tactically to get them out. I'm also worried about all the National Front, um, BMP style people that, that kind of um, piggybacked on onto the Conservatives and all that kind of business. I agree that if we, it will be so much harder if uh, Scotland leave before, which they have the democratic right to do, I don't fucking blame them. Um, and but I think there is a there is a strong possibility we could have a, a, a Labour Lib Dem coalition, and that would be the best possible outcome in in my view, because I think they would temper each other. Mm. And and I agree that we need the progressive change. We need those laws that have been put in by the Conservatives to be repealed pronto. Mm. Um, we and we and we need um, a change to our voting system so it's democratic. And I think maybe the to some extent maybe the Lib Dem side will influence it. Mind you, under Ed Davey, um, it is Ed Davey, isn't it? I always get confused with his name because it reminds me of Davey Moon. <laughs> Yeah, Ed Davey. <laughs> nice, yeah, because yeah, someone said David the other day and I was like, yeah, and they were like, no, Ed <laughs> uh, But no, I, he's actually been rowing back on a few things. And I think we're going to have to kind of get to the point, but only once we're over the line of kind of admitting how fucking mad Brexit is um, and, and starting to undo loads of damage. But I think we need a long-term strategy to do that so that we're not just in for five years barely able to set settle in and then the conservatives sweep back in again um, but i think we've never been closer to getting a labor government than we are now despite the mind fucking of the culture wars despite the spin despite everything um so yeah my hope is um establish an alternative vote for change repeal change our voting system that would be my aim yeah yeah, I mean, I think you're both on on point there. Um, I, I I feel like when we think back to where we were this time last year, I think the first time I had you both on as as guests, probably separately initially, I think our faith, our hope in the British political climate and system was just through the floor, just so like, oh God, we're fucked, we're so fucked. Um, and to see how far it's it's moved in the other other direction in one year is quite something you know to to have gone from being consistently behind in the polls and from from my perspective kind of blaming the newspapers constantly like you know if the mail or the sun were just if they were just you know how did i muted for like two weeks you'd really see a change in the needle and in the polls and stuff i really felt that and and to now be uh, a year ahead 
uh, and and to see Labour doing so well, and as you say, uh, on course for some sort of lib uh, lib lab coalition is a really um, yeah I don't know it's a really uh, enthusiastic optimistic kind of place to be in at the moment and and as you've both uh, alluded to. I think if we can just get over the line and get something resembling proportional representation, then at least then we have some kind of confidence that in the coming years that things won't just get wound down, rewound, repealed, uh, and that we can actually move forward to a slightly more progressive, compassionate uh, country. Um, guys, that's it. I've given myself the last word there, Tan. I'm so sorry. Was there oh, something? <laughs> Was there something you wanted to chuck in? No, no, no. I'm just saying we need change. We need a fresh start. And I think that's only going to come if people vote for the alternative. And we do have a solid alternative. Yeah. They, are, they are broadly better. Yes, I agree. I mean, it's, it's one of the great ironies of uh, people who I've engaged with on the right, where in what, like one minute, they're always like, Britain's the best country in the world. I love Britain. Britain like no other country's as good as Britain. And then you're just like, well, I don't know could be a bit better if we just did that and then they're like no we could never do that we're too shit you know what i mean like but that's the one thing that's the one thing the one message that we have to continue to push to the people that we're here and the people that agree with us we deserve better we deserve better than this and that's the only message that matters the only message that needs to cut through what we have now does not work we deserve better yeah. Leave the abusive relationship of the Conservatives. Yes. Vote. The kindly warm arms of the alternative. Vote <laughs> Labour, colon. It could be better. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, that's the slogan. Yeah. Um, guys, that's it. I will return next Wednesday for the solo show. Uh, and next Friday night, I will have a guest once again. Um, don't forget, you can always grab the episodes first on uh, patreon.com forward slash aid Thompson. Uh, and then they go out on Spotify and Apple Podcasts uh, three days later. There's also a political blog that comes out on Sunday mornings. Um, and all those blogs and all the historic episodes of the podcast are always up for you on uh, funk-27.co.uk. Um, thanks again to my guests uh, this time, Super Tansky and Davey Moo. Uh, <laughs> make sure that you give them both a follow on Twitter and TikTok. And uh, yeah, I will catch up with you all soon. Cheerio. Bye-bye.